Today's scripture is Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 to 23. And Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 to 23. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on that day, that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the heavens, oh, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Thank you, Brother Phil, for the reading. Uh, I know it was a long passage, but uh, you read really well with that gifted voice of yours. Uh, and Pastor Xiong, uh, thanks for that rich prayer. It sounds like you're ready to be ordained. Uh, so I want to once again invite everyone to the ordination service, uh, which will be held in the KM Sanctuary, right across the parking lot at 4.30. Okay, we ordered some food, so I'm hoping that there will be no leftovers, all right? So 4.30, there'll be some dinner boxes there. I ordered 150 of them, so hopefully we'll have at least 150 of you. 
presence. Okay, the message today is especially for those of you who have been discouraged because of life's hardship. You know, last Sunday, God's word came to us as a gentle rebuke, if you remember, right? Is your worship for me or is it for yourself? Right? The Lord's word came to us in such a way where it was a gentle rebuke. But today, God wants to offer us hope and encouragement in the midst of our hardships by reminding us of what future Jerusalem will look like, okay? I think the way you should look at this passage is that there is an immediate application to the people who were there living, but there's also this broader application uh, as we look forward to the future holy city of Jerusalem. Essentially, it's a picture of heaven, right, where God will dwell and we will be his people forever. So it's like this. If you know what your future will be like, and in this case, it would be a glorious future filled with joy. If you know that God will usher in a, a time and place where all your tears will be wiped away, then guess what? That is going to give you the motivation to remain hopeful and faithful in this present life. And that's why God is offering us such a glorious vision this morning. It's meant to encourage you and give you hope, brothers and sisters. By the way, this is really the only reason why I have personally no problem knowing how a storybook ends before I read it, okay? And some of you don't understand this, but I'm just more theological than you, okay? <laughs> I have no problem knowing how the movie ends, right, before I watch it. And so, you know, it's really no stress talking to me. If you want to talk to me about any books you've read or any movies you watch, I don't mind if you spoil the end, okay? You know, feel free to share, right? Less stress for me. I was happy to hear that my eldest child, Sela, possesses the same traits that I do. You know, when she watches a movie, guess what she's doing? She's on her phone reading through the plot line in advance. You know, what a girl, right? Uh, when I learned about that habit of hers, I was like, that's my girl. Yeah, yeah that's my girl. On a more serious note, uh, the reason why God expects us not to be so surprised in this life, not, not to live this life in such a jumpy way, right? So nervous, so anxious, so fearful, is because he, he's already written the story of history, and he expects us to know how the story ends, you see. Have you ever watched the HBO series titled Band of Brothers? <laughs> I'm watching it right now because one of my CG members, I'm not going to mention who it was, she told me that I'm one of the few people in the world who hasn't watched that series yet, and so I'm halfway through it, okay? <laughs> it's a 10-part series. I'll, I'll say that um, episodes one and two were very suspenseful because it basically covered the events leading up to D-Day, where the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy. But guess what? I already know how this story ends, right? <laughs> I already know that Hitler did not win. And so I don't, I don't have to worry about whether D-Day was going to be a success or not. So I could rather just sit back, relax, I could focus on appreciating 
the details of the story, right? The writing, the character development, the cinematography, etc. Essentially, I can admire and appreciate the work of the people who produced this masterpiece. And to a large degree, brothers and sisters, this is how the Christian life is meant to be lived. In Christian theology, there's a concept called the already not yet aspect of God's kingdom, right? The already not yet. I want that to stick in your minds. The already not yet, right? God's kingdom is already but not yet. This is meant to teach us the important reality, right? That God's kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully realized, It's like when Jesus offered his life on the cross for sinners, he already won the war against sin and death, which is why he was able to say, it is finished, it's done. But then there's this in-between time that we're still called to live out until he returns again, right, where he will fully realize his victory. So there's this not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. To use an example from the Band of Brothers and World War II, historians have said that the war was essentially won on D-Day, right? June 6, 1944. It's already won. It was done deal. But see, when was V-Day? When was ultimate victory declared? That happened about a year later on May 8, 1945. It's that in-between time, right, that time between D-Day and V-Day that we are called to faithfully live out, right, but not as a defeated people, but as as a people who know that the war has essentially been won, just as the allied forces needed to still diligently fight against the Axis powers. We, too, are called to fight against the remnant sin and evil that remains in this life, but with a clear knowledge that all will be well in the end, you see. And what this chapter does for us is it reveals to us what that glorious future looks like, right? That future that God promises to us. But what I want you to notice here is that there's something very unique about how God describes this future. You know, we're not told that the walls will be built of jasper while the city will be pure gold like clear glass. Guess where that's from? That's from Revelation. That's how Revelation describes our future. In this chapter, yeah, we're we're given the assurance that God will dwell with us as we would expect, but What's quite different is what we read in verses four and five, where it says, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And there's verse five as well. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls in its streets. What is this about? What? Why would God mention this? I mean, we're, we're basically given a picture of what life will be like, for the most vulnerable in society, right? The oldest and also the youngest, they'll be essentially living peacefully, right? Without much worry. That's a city where God will dwell. Now, this description 
will especially, I believe, encourage those who have had to live under the stress of caring for maybe your elderly parents in your homes. Okay, you can relate to this I, I, probably better than uh, most of us would be able to, right? It said, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. Right? That's supposed to be an encouraging picture, okay? And if you don't think it's encouraging, it's because your parents are still relatively young and active. Because in a fallen world marred by sin, guess what? There is sickness and death all around us. And what happens to our elderly parents? Where do you eventually find them? Do you find them on the streets? No, no way. They become frail. And guess what? If your parents have not said this yet, they will eventually, at least they'll think this way. Right? They, they, they don't want to be a burden to others. And so they end up spending most of their time alone in their rooms. Right? If they leave the home for too long, there's this risk of falling or being harassed or mistreated by others. Right? They simply don't want to be a burden upon others. And there's also that danger. I mean, you know, they, they, they fear what's maybe outside. They can't see as clearly, right? They don't have the, the, the same instincts that they used to have. That's one reason why there are these gated communities that are formed just for the elderly. And as they get older, at some point, they'll need full-time care. So many of them, they spend their remaining days in a nursing home alone, isolated, which is why we don't really get to see that many elderly people on the streets in public. But it's different here in this vision. It's different. In the future city where God fully dwells, the elderly will not be hampered by illness or old age. They will not be looked upon as a burden to society there will be no threat of them losing their minds and forgetting how to get back home, right? Or there will be no threat of criminals mugging them on the streets. They will not be gated away or hidden in nursing homes. Rather, we're given a picture of peace and joy, even among the most vulnerable. This description here also ought to encourage parents with young children because it says, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing. Do you know why you rarely see kids playing in the streets by themselves these days? Some of you may not even realize that's possible, right? You've never seen it in your lifetime, right? What? Kids can play in the streets by themselves? Yes, they can, right? If you have never seen something like that, that means you're too young to know that there was a time where even in big city neighborhoods, our kids were on the streets playing alone without any adult supervision. Those days are no more, though. Why? Because basic trust has been eroded in our society. Right? No one trusts anyone anymore. When I was a young kid living in the U.S., my parents, maybe they weren't the wisest people. No, my parents, they, they just let me roam anywhere around our neighborhood through the apartment complexes, right? They didn't ask where I went. I mean, it wasn't the best decision all the time, but the point is, there was this basic level of trust among the parents that we would all be looking out for our children together. It was rarely any adult supervision. Looking back, it's pretty shocking to think how different life was back then. What's the contrast? And how is it like now? I mean, kids can't do anything by themselves. 
Even our kids, I confess, even the banglings, our kids have been trained to ask us, either me or Joyce, permission, even if they wanted to step outside a few feet outside the house, right, in the, in the front yard or the backyard, right? just a few feet, they have to ask us permission. Why? I don't know, you'll have to ask Joyce about that. You know, it was her, it was, it was her rule, it was her rule. I just said, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I kind of understand. It's because it's become that much harder to trust even the innocent passerby, you see. You really can't trust people anymore, right? Now, some of you have been looking at this passage thinking, wait, wait a second. This, this picture's kind of weird, right? Does this mean that in heaven there will be people of all ages living in God's holy city? Like, there's going to be, like, really old people and really young people and middle-aged people. So where am I going to land, right? Am I going to be given an old age? What's going to be a question about that, right? It's a fair question. My answer is I don't exactly know. My guess is that this vision probably shouldn't be taken too literally, right, since God promises to give us all new, healthy resurrection bodies. I mean, none of us will, you know, going to need a, a staff to, to hold us up, you know? So I, I believe the point of this vision is to assure us that our future in God's city will be completely free from sin's effects, such as sickness and death or crime or distrust, you know, heaven will essentially be a place where no one will be mistreated or marginalized, right? Even the most vulnerable among us will be properly cared. I think that's the main purpose here. That's the main point. I mean, have you, have you ever thought of how different our world, like right now on earth, would be if there were no sin? <laughs> it would be heaven on earth, right? There would be no police force needed like, if there's no sin in the world, okay, think about that. Imagine with me for a second. If there's no sin in the world present, guess what? I'd be the first one to say, let's defund the police, okay? <laughs> let's defund the police. We don't need police anymore if there's no sin. But guess what? There is sin. There's too much sin. So it's not, it's not the time to do that. But in a world without sin, yeah, there's no need for police, no need for prisons, no need for mental institutions to say there will be no crime or mental illness to deal with. No locksmiths or security monitoring companies, right? They'd all go out of business, right? Because nothing would ever need to be locked. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? Nothing would ever be needed to be monitored. We have cameras here, if you didn't know, okay, outside. Why? Because we have this door locked. It used to be just open. Why do we lock this? I can't even go in anymore, right? I was like, what's the code? Let me in. We had to put the lock on that door because there was theft. People stole equipment. And so smack locks everywhere now, right? Cameras everywhere. This is the fallen world we live in. Doctors and hospitals would be no more since there would be no, no more illness and death. Lawyers would be nearly out of work since there would be no lawsuits to process. And there would be no need for military, right? The military would be, be done with because all the nations would be able to coexist and peace. Brothers and sisters, isn't that the kind of world we all long to see and be a part of? Well, guess what? God is telling us this morning that that is the kind of future that he's preparing for us. There's another point about 
God's future city that I think is worth mentioning, and it's the fact that the future of the future city of Jerusalem will be heavily repopulated. Right, verse seven: I will save my people from the east country and the from the west country. In other words, I'm going to bring in people from different nations, the Gentiles, you and me. I'm going to bring them in, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. So Jews and Gentiles will coexist and commingle and become one nation, essentially. People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. And so, think of it this way, all right? Uh, again, a, a contrast is being made. You know, when, when people are infected by sin and when God is far from them, guess what happens to the places they dwell? They start experiencing population decline. Right? Have, have you noticed? One reason is because... Uh, Places like that, they become too dangerous to live, right? Too much drug use, too much crime, too much destruction. And that's why, that's exactly why we're seeing in many of our major cities in the U.S., right, population decline. People are fleeing. It's depressing to watch. Every city I visited recently, it's like, oh my God, where are the people, right? The suburbs are bustling with people, not the cities, so we need to seriously pray for revival in our country, right? It's a declining city, declining country. Another reason why population decline happens is because people become selfish and self-serving, like we talked about last Sunday, and they just simply don't want to obey God's clear command to be fruitful and multiply. Children are considered to be an obstacle that prevents them from achieving personal happiness and success. And that's why so many cities and countries are in decline right now. It's not a good sign. It's a sign of spiritual decay. So what do we see here? Instead of a desolate city infected by sin, right, God gives us a picture of a repopulated future city filled with people coming from many nations. It's a picture of abundant blessing and prosperity. And God's future uh, blessings, it culminates in the promise that our fasting will turn into feasting, that our tears of sorrow were, will turn into tears of joy, right? Verse 19. Beautiful, right? Something to truly look forward to. And so given what we said about the already not yet aspect of God's kingdom, how do you think God's future promises are supposed to shape how we live in this present life. God becomes a little practical, actually. There's some practical things he, he says here. And there's one thing he says repeatedly, okay? And I want you to clearly hear it in his words. Verse nine, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong that my temple might be built. Okay, and then verse 13. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. In other words, he promises future blessing, and based on that future blessing, he says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Again, he repeats himself. Fear not, let your hands be strong. And then verse 14. As I purpose to bring disaster to you and your fathers provoke me to wrath, I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, have I purposed in these days to bring good 
right, to bless Jerusalem. Again, promise a blessing, and based on that, he says, fear not one more time. That's one obvious application. As we look to God's future blessing, we're to respond with, I will not fear, because there is hope in God's promises for me. God is saying, as you trust in my future promise to bless you in this present moment, my people, you are not to fear. Let your hands be strong. There is work to be done. Yes, I know that the threats out there are real. Living as believers in this day and age is hard. But God is saying, do not give up in building my house. I, I will not break my promise. On one of my car rides with my older son, I was, <laughs> I don't know exactly what I said, but I was sharing something negative about the world we're living in and how things are getting worse, okay? And I, I really wasn't expecting to hear this from my own son, but he responded with, well, if the world is so bad, why did you have so many kids? <laughs> and I, I took that as a teaching moment, and I said, look, we, we cannot live in fear, right? We cannot live in fear, right? Just because the world is bad doesn't mean we stop obeying the Lord, right? The mandate to be fruitful and multiply still is in effect, <laughs> And I didn't say this next part, but I should have. I said, all things considered, Caleb, right? The, the world was far, far more difficult to live in, in previous centuries. Yes, the world is bad now, but the world is always a hard place to live. I, I, I heard someone say recently, when Scholar was uh, mentioning this about just looking at history, and said, it's better to be a poor person in America than an aristocrat in 16th century England. And the basic point was the, the world has always been a hard place to live. And right, actually right now, it's actually one of the most comfortable times to live. So, brothers, sisters, I really hope that you're not the type of person who is always making excuses <laughs> and not doing the right thing. You always have an excuse. I'm still hearing that our children's director, Hannah, and our pre-K kindergarten director, Kathleen, they need help with their ministries, okay? Um, now, I understand some of you are serving two, three different ministries, so you have a legitimate reason why you can't serve, okay? You're, you're too busy and you're too stretched out, that's fine. But I want to ask those who have never served in a ministry before. Or maybe, maybe you are serving, but it's sort of a part-time thing. You're not really heavily invested, you know, and you have a little more time on your hands or you can at least afford to give more time. I wanna speak to those of you who are in that category, okay? There is still much work that needs to be done, right? And I wanna echo God's word for us today, right? Don't fear, okay? Don't make excuses, let your hands be strong. Let me also speak a gentle word to the parents. Uh, I know that you're tired from having to watch your kids all week, 
and you just want to drop off your kids at the nursery or the toddler room or the children's ministry room over there, and you wanna enjoy just some time on your own with your hubby or you know, with your wife and just worship freely, you know? I understand that. Of course, Joyce and I, we sometimes want that too, okay? But the reality is God has blessed us tremendously with so many children, okay? I'm not talking about my family, I'm talking about our church, our church family, right? We're busting in the seams with children and just there are simply not enough volunteers. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we're, we're gonna need your help. We are, and I'm not, just, I'm not just talking to the moms here, I'm talking to the dads too, dads. You gotta volunteer too, okay? I told Hannah that uh, when I'm not preaching here, I'd be willing to go preach to the children, okay? Whether they like it or not, right? I'm, sure I'm, not, I'm not sure if they like me there, but hey, you know. I used to lead VBSs, man. I, you know, I could be pretty good with kids too if I wanted to. Um, so Joyce and I are in this, I, I asked my wife to volunteer her time as well. So she's, she's doing a little bit of that along with some of our kids. And so I wanna encourage all of you to consider filling in the gaps we have. We need more volunteers, right? Let your hands be strong. It's not time to make excuses. I just have a couple of closing thoughts here. Uh, I, I thought that this analogy would be helpful. Uh, so I heard this shared not too long ago, and I, I think it, it's a helpful picture to have, okay? There, there is, or let me say, there was a difference between walking through the Red Sea versus when the Israelites were called to walk through the Jordan River, okay? There, there was a, some differences in detail there. Let me, let me share what I mean by that, okay? Uh, with the Red Sea, it was pretty immediate. I mean, Moses was asked to raise his staff and stretch out his arms, and guess what? The, the water just split immediately, okay? And dry ground appeared, and Moses did not have to step into water. The people, surely, they did not have to step into water, Right, the only thing they had to really trust is that God, God wasn't going to swallow them up as they're walking through <laughs> the sea, okay? So there was some faith involved there, but it was different with the Jordan River, right? Uh, the priests, they were told that after they stepped into the water, that God was going to split the water eventually. So... There, there's this sort of uncertainty there. Like you have to actually step in to what's, you know, what we call uncertainty of life, right? We have to step in. We have to take that risk. We have to get our feet wet and trust that the Lord will fulfill his promises to split the water and reveal dry ground for us to walk through. That's the difference. And I, I share that because I believe that the Christian life for us is more like crossing the Jordan River than it is crossing the Red Sea. Because we, we need to be willing to trust God's future promises that we're gonna be okay. <laughs> All things will, will turn out okay, right? Even if it means we have to step into the water and we don't yet see the water splitting. It's gonna be okay. Right? God will do what he promised to do. 
I recently visited a, a family because uh, the couple was struggling, the, the, the mom, I'm not gonna mention the name, but the mom, uh, she was, she's been battling this illness, it's been not, you know, not being able to find relief from it for many months, even years. And I tell you, whenever I walk into that kind of situation, you know, when visiting someone who's sick, especially someone who's been sick for a while, all I really feel is sort of like, man, I just feel bad, you know, I feel sorry. I feel some pity, you know, like, that, that's, humanly speaking, that's, that's a dominant emotion. I just feel bad, right? There's all just negative feelings, you know? But I walked into that home, I walked into that situation with those sort of dominant feelings, but then as I was talking to the couple, I was actually so encouraged and blessed because as the sister was sharing, um, and I can tell that she was very, tired from just uh, what, what this illness was doing to her body. But nonetheless, right, she was saying, through this illness, God forced me to slow down and reprioritize my life, okay? And she also said, I have fallen in love with God's word again, right? And I've come to see more clearly the importance of Christian community, right? And so, and I'm just giving you a little snapshot, okay? There's more, more shared, but yeah, I, I walked out of that situation thinking, you know, <laughs> I guess I was wrong to think that these two are the less fortunate ones in the church because they had their hearts anchored in the Lord's promises. And though their present was filled with daily pain and hardship, right, they were able to express joy and gratitude and how the Lord was using their hardships for his good purposes, right? They were clinging to his promises, and therefore they were able to live faithfully in the present. So in closing, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to all of you is that you too would live faithfully in the present because you know, right? You know clearly that your future is secure in the Lord. Amen? Do not fear, right? Let your hands be strong. Please join me in continuing to build God's house. All right, let's step into the water together, trusting that God will open up a path of obedience for us as he promised he would do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon your promises, we are reminded of the responsibility you've placed on us to live in accordance with your truth. May our hands be strong, and may we be diligent in building your house as you've called us to live in the tension of the already not yet, may you give us the foresight and the courage to face our fears and to live in faithful obedience to your word. May our lives reflect your promises to us that you will transform our fasting into feasting and our tears into tears of joy. Help us to cling to Jesus and walk in faith even when the path seems uncertain, trusting fully that you will part the waters for us in your time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll stand together and give praise to God.